0: We are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to talk about uh, being at the table uh, together. We're going to look at what this table is about, and uh, what we may not realize in today's culture is that one of the primary texts on communion in the scriptures is actually a text about justice. Uh, that first Corinthians chapter 11 as it talks about communion and we read that and we think oh this is about communion It's actually Speaking about some of the injustices that were going on as people were coming to the table And so this is what we're going to look at today uh, So Paul begins this text and Paul is uh, the, the apostle he is the church planner. He is one of the sort of the leaders of the early church and he writes a letter to one of the churches in, in Corinth, and, and this is what he says in his letter to the church. Now, just imagine if, you know, the head of the denomination or something wrote a letter like this to us. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In other words, it's like, you guys shouldn't even get together because what's going on is not good, and when you get together, you're actually doing more harm than good. In other words, Paul is not very happy with what is going on in the church of Corinth. And uh, and the question, of course, is what in the world was going on that Paul looks at this church and says, it'd be better that if you weren't meeting, it might be better because you're doing more harm than good. In fact, it's so serious what is going on that God actually gets involved with this situation. And later on in this text, it says this, because of this issue, Paul says, this is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And the term fallen asleep just means that a Christian has died. And so because of this issue, there are people who are weak and sick, and some have actually died. Uh, Some people will say it's because maybe there's a famine going on, but it actually says this. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. In other words, the the, the sicknesses and these people who have died, it seems that was actually judgment from God. That God was saying, just as, you know, if you are a principal or a teacher, and there's kids who are being really bad in your school, you might say, you know, you need to go home. You're not helping what's going on in school. You need to come home. It seems God was doing that in this church. He was looking at some people and said, you need to come home because you're not helping what is going on there. You're actually harming it. So it seems that God was actually calling some people from this church home early because they were creating trouble. Now, what in the world was so serious that Paul said, you're actually doing more harm than good and that God says, you know, I'm really sorry to do this, but I got to call you home early or, you know, allow you to struggle with some sickness for a little bit because this is not good what is going, what in the world is going on? I mean, you could, you could scroll through the book and say, well, is it um, the guy who was sleeping with his stepmom in chapter five? Is that what was, was so serious? Was it in chapter six, the fact that the Christians were suing each other? Was that the issue? Or maybe it was all the sexual immorality going on in the church talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Was that it? Or maybe it was chapter 10, all the idolatry that was happening. And we realized it was actually none of those things. There is actually something which we see, maybe not as serious, which God sees as very, very serious. So what in the world was going on that Paul says, it's not good what's going on, you shouldn't even meet, and that God says, i got to take some of you home and discipline some of you because this is going on. What was it? Well, Paul tells us in this text. He gives a little introduction. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And so part of the issue, this this is not the main issue, it will come, was that there were divisions. That they were not loving each other they were not treating each other as family that there were some people in the church who were going around saying you know there has to be differences here because after all i'm the one who has god's approval and all of you are wrong you know this last statement here by the way is sarcastic some people see that this is the way it should be when he says no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has god's approval and it's like well there has to be differences in the church because only certain people have god's approval and that's that's not what paul is saying he's being sarcastic in fact Uh, One scholar put it this way, that this is what he's saying. For there actually has to be discrimination in your meeting so that if you please, the elite may stand out from the rest. In other words, Paul is using their own thinking and saying this is what's going on. That there were certain people we're going to see that were discriminating against others. That were walking around thinking that they were the elite and others were less. And this does not make Paul or God very happy. And so here uh, is the issue. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is, is what we're going to do right here, or communion, or called the Eucharist in some churches. So we see that this has to do something with, with this table. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, because that's what they thought it was, but Paul says it doesn't look like it. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you s- despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. And so, I mean, what is going on here? You read this. People eating their own private suppers and getting hungry, and there's others who are drunk. I mean, the, the Lord's Supper, how is this working? I mean, people rushing up here and, like, gobbling up all the bread and, you know, downing all the little cups with wine and getting drunk. And then others come up here and, like, there's nothing left for me. I'm still hungry. We need to understand they did the Lord's Supper differently than we do now, okay? Uh, the way it happened in the early church is it was always a part of a meal, and, uh, and maybe one day we should do it like this, because this is the way Jesus did. When he implemented communion, he did it as part of a, of a big dinner. On the Last Supper, they were in the upper room, and they had this meal before him. And that's when Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And then th- they took the wine and drank the wine. And Jesus said, this is, this is a, a symbol of my blood. It was part of a meal. So this is the way the early church did it. That as part of their service, they would have a potluck, which we're going to have afterwards. But they would actually... Uh, do communion as part of their meal and so as they were eating they would break the bread and give thanks for the broken body and a little while later they would they would take the wine and give thanks for uh, the blood shed for them so with the idea of the potluck in mind here here's what's going on uh, the early church did not meet in buildings like this they met in homes uh, because christianity was starting out they didn't have time to build buildings yet they would meet in homes 20, 30, 40 people would gather in a house, and because it was 20, 30, 40 people, they usually met in the homes of people who were wealthy because people who didn't have a lot of money didn't have a home big enough. So they often met in homes of of the rich Christians, and, and what was happening is there was segregation between the rich and the poor, and this was just the way they lived, part of their culture, that most Romans did not have People in the Roman world did not have like a place in their mind for the poor or any system of helping the poor. It was just part of their society that they would always flaunt their wealth. Uh, They would eat often in front of poor people. They would have lots. They would have nothing. It was just part of their culture. They would do that all the time, and they, they didn't really see much wrong with that. But Christianity came on the scene and began to challenge that system of people being greater than others or more worthy than others or, you know, the rich have more power and the poor don't have any. Christianity began to challenge that idea. But in the church of Corinth, there were still issues with it. Uh, One scholar said it this way, what what was going on. He he says, he, that's the, the owner of the house, the owner of the church building they were meeting in, he invited into the triclinium, which was the dining room, and this is how they would use. They would dine on. They would lie down on these couches and have a table in, in the middle. And this was the dining room. It was very fancy and luxurious. And and so he invited into the dining room his closest friends among the believers, who have been of the same social class. The rest would take their place in the atrium or, or the foyer, where conditions were inferior. Those in the triclinium would have reclined, whereas those in the atrium were forced to sit. And so the church began to take on the culture. That there'd be this separation where the rich would gather in their own room and have their fancy meal, but the poor and and those who didn't have as much would would be out there and and this potluck, of course, the rich would have all their fancy food because they were rich. They could buy the choicest foods and have an amazing meal and the poor would come in and they wouldn't have much because they're poor and their potluck would just not look very good. Further, Uh, Most scholars think that this was written during a time of a famine, and this is why the text said that some were going hungry, where others were getting drunk and they were stuffing their face, others were hungry, and this was the separation of these rooms, the separation of of how they were having their communion meal, that there were some Christians actually hungry and some who were rich, and they just seemed fine with it because that's the way the culture was. And, and this is the real issue. It is a justice issue. Paul says, this is not the way it should be. And yet, we as Christians can fall into that same category today. I mean, maybe not here in this church, but I mean, there are a lot of poor Christians, a lot of hungry Christians in this world. And, w- and we, have, we have plenty, and, and it's our responsibility to help all believers. This is why Paul would later say in this text this, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Don't separate yourselves. Don't think that you're elite, that you're better, that you have a, a pipeline to God and everybody else is just not as worthy as you. So I got the nice seat in the church and everybody else gets the, you know, th- that's what was going on in this text. So what Paul does is bring in to this the table. He says there's discrimination. There's elitism. You're not caring for the poor. You're stuffing your faces while other in your church are going hungry. This is not what the Lord's Supper is about. So the reason he brings in the Lord's Supper is not to present a theology of communion, but actually to challenge the injustices going on in the church. And so he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when Jesus broke that bread or when we take this bread, we are to take that. And it says that we are to remember how Jesus broke his body for us. That through his broken body, we have absolute forgiveness of our sin. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, that through Jesus and his work that you can be cleansed and forgiven. It is through the broken body that we have uh, new life and power and freedom. That our guilt is washed away. It is through uh, the, the, the broken bread, through the cross, that, that we now are a part of the family of God. And this is what Paul has in mind here. That all of us at one time, were away from the family of God. Through the cross, the, the broken bread, we are brought into the family of God. And because there was one time when we were not worthy to be in the family of God, and we're brought in by the grace of God how in the world can we ever look at any other Christian and say, you're not worthy to be part of my table? Or you're not worthy to be a part of, of the, the elite, you know, gathering in the triclinium. I mean, that he's saying, look, we're all part of the same family. This is what Jesus came to do, to, to make us family. Or as 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives For our brothers and sisters. And the theology around this table. Throughout the scriptures. Is that you cannot separate. Your Christianity from other people. You cannot separate this table. From other people. To participate. In the work of Jesus. Is to participate with each other. In in family. And he goes on and says. In the same way after supper. He took the cup saying. This cup is the new covenant. In my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me and so we take this cup which was in jesus day of course was wine uh, we just have, have juice here um but it was to remind people of the new covenant now what is that when jeremiah tells us what the new covenant is this the idea of covenant is promise this is the promise that when you come to jesus this is what he promises you and what we remember when we take the cup The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, which we are now in under Jesus. This new covenant I will make with the people of Israel uh, on that day, says the Lord. I will put uh, my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Speaking of this close relationship we have with God. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their family, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me, says the Lord. In other words, you don't need a a priest to stand between you and God, that you can have a direct relationship with the God of this universe. And then he says, I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. And so this table is, in many ways, a table of celebration, I mean, sometimes we come to this table kind of like mourning and, you know, Jesus died for me. And, then, and as part of it, we remember his death, but we also celebrate the, the new covenant. That I'm forgiven. I have a new identity. I, I'm in part of the family of God. I'm, I'm in his kingdom. And this becomes a table celebration. And it is meant to be just that. Earlier in this book, Paul says this. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving, this the, the cup here. For which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? In other words, as Jesus died on the cross and we allow him to be ruler in our life, that there's something in us that dies with him on the cross. Our old ways, our old life dies with him and we receive new life. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? But he says this then. Because there is one loaf, we who are many our one body for we all share the one loaf in other words the, the, all the bread would come from one loaf of bread and that was a symbol of unity and what paul is saying here is that participation in christ also means participation in each other's lives that there's sort of this, this modern thinking in western christianity that somehow you can participate with christ without participating with each other that you can kind of do communion by yourself and you can just sit in front of the tv and watch some preacher by yourself and just kind of do your christianity on your own that is nowhere to be found in the new testament i mean if you said i'm just kind of this isolated christian the early christians would say i don't think you're a christian (laughs) to participate in jesus it means we participate in each other's lives and that we love each other, and that we're a family towards each other, and we, and we care for one another, that we don't see one of us as better or more elite than another, that we all have different roles and positions and uniquenesses, but, but, but we love each other. That's part of the meaning of this table, that this one loaf of bread, that we each take a little piece off this bread, and then we eat it, and we all leave here with little pieces of bread going in, but we're all still kind of part of the same family, the, the same loaf of bread. And so he says, when, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when you come here, you're, you're basically retelling the gospel. So you take the bread, you're retelling the story of Jesus' death on the cross. And You take the cup, you're retelling the story of his shed blood for forgiveness in the new covenant. But you're also being reminded as you take bread from this one loaf that we're together, that we're a family. It's what it means to come to this table, that we participate in Jesus and we're participating in each other's lives. So then, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves and so he's coming back to this idea that some of the Christians were being judged and some of the Christians God were saying you need to come home early. So he says examine yourselves. Uh, you don't want to come to this table in an unworthy manner because there have been some and God has said you're coming home early because you're not living the the participation in the body of Christ. You're you're discriminating against the poor. And to come in an unworthy manner, he says means you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. I don't think any of us want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to sin against the body and blood of the Lord. I'm sure you don't. So so what is he talking about? What does it mean to come in an unworthy manner? Well, throughout church history, there have been various answers. Uh, Some people say that coming to an unworthy manner is when people who don't follow Jesus come to this table and partake. That's what it means to come in an unworthy manner. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not writing this to non-Christians. He's writing this to believers. Uh, they who have been judged says they fall asleep. That is the death of a Christian. He says not to be caught up in the world. He's talking to Christians, not about unbelievers. Again, we look at the first communion ever uh, done. Uh, Judas, most likely. Jesus gave communion to Judas, who was obviously very much against Christ at, 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 that, at that moment. In fact, there are 80 passages in the New Testament about judgment, judgment, Do you know that 60 of them are addressed to Christians? I mean, a lot of times we're like, oh, those people don't follow Jesus. Like, well, way more judgment coming our way. I mean, hey, uh, we have a greater responsibility because we know Christ. This is not talking about non-Christians. Some people say, well, it's about people who are struggling with sin. That if you're struggling with sin and uh, you got sin in your life, you better not come to this table. Because that means you're coming in an unworthy manner. And sometimes people protect this table. They say, well, that person's not worthy over there. And they say, you can't come here because, you know, you have sin in your life. Notice what he says. Everyone ought to examine themselves. We're never to examine others. We don't sit here saying, why is that person coming up here? I mean, again, it's this other, I'm better, I have more together, there's something wrong with that person. It goes right back to this discrimination, this pride, when he's saying you examine yourself. This is between you and God and you and others, not, not between, you know, seeing who is worthy or not. I mean, if you see your need for Jesus, I mean, this is the place you need to be. I mean, the, the prerequisite to coming here is that you see yourself as a sinner. I mean, if you say you can't come here because you have sin in your life, then, then really no one would be able to come here. Uh, and if we have sin in your life, our hope is in Jesus, I mean, imagine if you went to a doctor, and you went to the doctor and said, uh, "Doctor, I'm really sick. I need your help." And he's like, "Well, sorry, you can't come see me until you're well." And you're like, "No, I actually. That's why I need you. Because I mean, you need to help me." And and it's like, "You can't come to this table until you are well." And it's like, "No, this is a symbol of his grace and his mercy and his power in our lives. And if you see your need for Jesus, that to come to this table, please, this is where help is found and where we remember what he has done." The real issue here is is this, that people who are treating others like they're not family, that was the issue. We're part of the elite rich status, and you guys, yeah, you're hungry, there's a famine going on, but, you know, this is part of our culture, to flaunt our wealth, and, you know, really, you're not quite part of our family, so you're not invited to this little (laughs) gathering here, right? I mean, that's what was going on. They were not sharing, they were not loving, they were not caring for each other, because the very meaning of this table goes back to what Paul says. It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. And the issue wasn't so much between them and God as it was between them and people. Because you cannot separate this table from Jesus and loving others. I mean, the mission here of loving Jesus and loving people is found at the heart of communion. That we come here remembering that I participate in Jesus and I participate in the lives of others. In fact, it could be summed up well in Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter, you know, where you've been this last week. We all come together in the name of Jesus to remember what he has done and to remember that we are family together. It is a place where in Galatians where uh, we carry each other's burdens. And in this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5 says, serve one another humbly in love. In fact, that word is actually to be a slave. That we'd be in slavery to each other, humbly serving each other in love. That if there's someone in need, In this family, we take care of them. If there's someone hurting in this family, we mourn with them. If there's someone rejoicing in this family, we rejoice with them. But it's not just us that we, as followers of Christ in this rich nation, we also have responsibility to other believers in this world who don't have as much as we do. This is a table of love for Jesus. It's a table for love for each other. It's a table for justice. And so when you come, and we're going to come to this, this table now, don't be afraid to look each other in, in eyes. I mean, this is not just you and Jesus. This is, about, this, is, this is about us. Come together, smile at each other, remind us that, hey, we're a family and we're here. For, man, we mess up at times and sometimes we tick each other off. That <laughs> happens in families, but we forgive and, and we, we move forward and, and we love each other. This is what this table means. And so what we're going to do, we're going to invite the worship team up here.